Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. In this episode, we had the pleasure to sit down with Thomas Young, Managing Director at Baozun Asia, a leading brand e-commerce solutions provider. Thomas has 30 plus years of experience in organizational transformation and M&A advisory. He provides strategic advice on leadership, growth, and technology-driven e-commerce solutions for businesses in Southeast Asia and China. In our conversation with Thomas, we discuss how consumer brands can grow in Southeast Asia. We explore why it's important to have a careful and personalized approach to succeed in this diverse and complicated market. We talk about understanding the different cultures and affordability levels in the region, as well as the need for reliable local partners or teams. If you're thinking about expanding your brand in Southeast Asia, this is the episode that will give you all the valuable information and tips you need. Enjoy. The price points for TikTok shop transactions is right now still relatively low. If you're selling at $20, $30, that's tops uh, in place like Indonesia. I'm talking US dollars. So if your merchandise is lower cost and all that, definitely it's a good platform for transaction. But if your products are like 100 bucks, 200 bucks, it may not be a platform for transacting that kind of products today. But at the very least, TikTok is a platform for influencer marketing. It may not be sales, but definitely marketing. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half of the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market that no globally-minded organization should ignore. But entering markets like China, Japan, or Southeast Asia is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. However, times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success growing their key markets in APAC. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies grow in the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful Asia market entry and growth strategies by interviewing the experts who've done it before and truly understand what it takes to be successful in the region. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation. Brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technologies. Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you, Todd. Glad to be here. So where in the world are you located today that we're recording you from? I am currently in Singapore. Uh, that's where I live and that's where the headquarters for Baldwin Asia is. I don't want to get too much into trying to explain your vast and deep background. So I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind give an introduction to yourself and walk us through some of your career as a technology executive. Certainly. I, um, you know, started life as an, an, uh, an roll up your sleeves uh, engineer uh, and I was trained in that and, uh, and then quickly went into um, technology related engineering related uh, roles. Uh, both in the public sector uh, here in Singapore as well as in the private sector. And that's taken me through, you know, industries ranging from, um, you know, business services to, you know, actually um, engineering type of businesses to financial services, uh, venture capital, stock, stock broking, and um, and recently here at Baljun Asia uh, with uh, e-commerce. But the common thread uh, throughout my career is uh, a focus on technology and its applications to, you know, business, um, developing uh, uh, businesses, you know, using technology and also technology as a business in itself. Yeah. 
we'd like to focus the conversation today on the Southeast Asian market. Right. So many of our listeners um, are consumer brands, own consumer brands, make the executive decisions for consumer brands. And these people might be considering the expansion to the Southeast Asian region. Right. I'd like to ask you to first, if you don't mind, paint us a picture from your point of view of the region. What are some of the biggest markets in that area of the world? Okay. Um, well, Southeast Asia is, you know, it's um, a region that comprises uh, 10 countries, uh, effectively. And out of these 10 countries, six of them uh, make up for about 80% of the market. And these six countries are, you know, a small country like Singapore with only about five and a half, six million in population. To the largest country, in fact, the fourth largest country in the world, uh, Indonesia, which has close to 270 million in population. And in between, you have, you know, Thailand, which is six, about the size of, in terms of population, the size of France and the UK. Um, you have the Philippines with just over 100 million in population. Uh, Vietnam, close to 100 million in population. So these two countries are about, you know, the size of Germany in terms of um, population. And then you have Malaysia, which is basically about 30-odd million in population. So about the size of Australia in terms of uh, population. So, um, and by and large, you know, Southeast Asian region populations are young. Um, and, you know, it's still growing. The population growth is still there, except for maybe Singapore, which is uh, relatively developed uh, a city. Uh, and as with a lot of developed uh, countries, uh, cities, population growth has, uh, you know, matured. Um, all in, the Southeast Asian market um, is about a hundred billion in terms of e-commerce, 100 billion US dollars. Um, there's some estimates higher, about 140 odd billion dollars. But essentially, if you compare it to China, um, which is the largest in the world, Southeast Asia is maybe about eight to 10% of um, China's, uh, you know, uh, size in terms of uh, e-commerce. So that's a Southeast Asian region in terms of market size and the countries that you know, make up the largest uh, in terms of um, um, markets and business. Uh, it is also a very culturally diverse region. All these six countries, in fact, the 10 countries that I mentioned, um, they have different languages, uh, some languages even with their own writing, which is not, uh, you know, Roman character. Um, and then, you know, of course, you have different laws, uh, different uh, customs and duties, you know, for your products. So it is uh, a, a very colorful region in that sense. But in terms of business, it also in, in introduces complexity. It's not, you know, one size fits all for all of these uh, countries. You know, take the affordability, for instance. Um, you have like tiny Singapore, which has per capita GDP, which is almost the same as the U.S. Um, on the other hand, you have, you know, Vietnam with about 100 million population, but the per capita GDP is, you know, closer to like 3,000 U.S. dollars, but growing quickly. So in terms of um, 
uh, affordability and the suitability for specific products, price ranges, and so on. Um, you know, you have to. They, they, you know, it, it. Not every market would be suitable for, say, a specific product. Yeah, and you mentioned that. You know, the Southeast Asia would be about eight to ten percent mm-hmm. of of China. Yet, it is about forty percent of China's population. Right. So, so obviously there's a disparity yeah. there. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on why, and I'm sure they're closing the gap quickly, but why would there be a gap in those two numbers? Well, firstly, you know, uh, the infrastructure in China, uh, by and large, is a lot better in, in, than all the countries, in fact, most of the countries in, uh, in Southeast Asia. Which means that logistics and delivery, right? Uh, if you live in China, you're spoiled in terms of, you know, same day delivery. Um, when you order something, you know, next day delivery throughout this very vast country that is China. But in Southeast Asia, you could be looking at, you know, uh, sometimes two weeks delivery because the infrastructure is, you know, um, not as developed. Maybe the geography is a a lot more challenging because if you go to the Philippines and Indonesia, um, you know, you have a lot of islands. And, uh, you know, if air air, uh, connectivity is not as good and you have to rely on boats and uh, ferries and so on, it'll take uh, time. So that's, I think, one one of the reasons, logistics, the infrastructure. Um, secondly, I think it is also the penetration of, um, you know, internet. Um, if you go to a place like Indonesia about 10 years ago before um, smartphones really took off, uh, desktop PC, desktop internet penetration was only in the, you know, maybe 30% thereabouts, 40% at most. Um, it is only in the last 10 years when smartphones really, you know, uh, the costs uh, for smartphones came down and penetration went up in places like Indonesia. Today, Indonesia is the largest e-commerce market in Southeast Asia with, uh, you know, estimated to be half of a whole of Southeast Asia in terms of e-commerce. So the penetration rate uh, was slower than in China. I think China's uh, smartphone penetration rate was a lot higher. Um, You take a a, a mobile service provider like um, China Mobile, they have nearly a billion uh, users. And between China Mobile, China Telecom, China Unicom, the three big telcos there, you know, you have penetration rates in excess of 100% in China. So uh, I think these are the two key reasons, um, you know, in terms of the infrastructure, uh, why uh, people are you know, by the penetration rate is less in Southeast Asia compared to China. Yeah, but therein lies the opportunity. Now that the penetration rates for, you know, uh, to the internet has uh, improved, and especially over the last two, three years with the COVID lockdowns, a lot of people who would not have bought anything uh, had bought something during the COVID lockdown out of necessity. And from that experience, uh, I don't think, you know, they would uh, 
not use the uh, you know they they will not use e-commerce any uh, you know going forward. They certainly will. Um, so so I think that is a big uh, bump in terms of um, penetration. Uh, during the during the COVID period, that will I think carry over uh, and persist, you know, going forward. So I think Southeast Asia's uh, growth uh, in terms of narrowing that penetration of e-commerce uh, in society is uh, going to increase going forward. Yeah, I I agree. I I think that we we all noticed that COVID helped speed up the adoption of e-commerce, the comfortability of shopping online, uh, because people may not have had the choice. They may not have, you know, wherever they may live in order to get certain things, that was really their only option. So they were forced to learn and forced to get comfortable. And you're absolutely right about logistics. I mentioned it a couple podcasts ago as well. When I was a much younger man, I used to wear the brown. So I were I worked for UPS. I was in freight forwarding for a little bit as a young person. And so uh, I'm always fascinated. And China, you're right. I mean, the geography, you can't, that's, that's something that you really can't change until drones are delivering everything. China is this nice, beautiful, almost round, you know, kind of like Australia. It's just this, you know, you just look at it. Well, if the maps are correct, then, and, and it looks like a nice place to, to be able to just throw down a bunch of tracks and run everything by train and truck. They are completely spoiled by the logistics of, uh, that they get to enjoy there. And of course, if you look at the geography, if you look at the map and look at Southeast Asia, you have to imagine that it has to be much, much more difficult. And you beat me to the punch on the question I was going to ask you about, which was like that internet penetration and the maturity of the adoption of being online. So I'm glad you touched on that. I guess one other thing that I'd like to maybe ask before we really jump into some things is payments. So we talked about different cultures. We talked about different languages and the the difficulties of logistics. What does payments look like across the region? Well, payment uh, infrastructure is, uh, in fact, I would say, um, get got a shot in the arm over the last few years with the uh, with e-commerce and certainly during the uh, COVID period, you know, where cash was king. And during COVID, people got really weary of, um, you know, exchanging anything physical, you know, uh, even menus, touching menus at restaurants uh, during the, you know, the COVID period when we could go to restaurants, people were a bit queasy, you know. So um, QR codes started showing up in restaurants. Uh, people would scan the QR code for the menu, ordering it online, and then Along with it, digital payment really ramped up because, you know, then you don't have to deal with the cash. Um, you know, consumers start started using them because they don't want to, you know, get, you know, change uh, from, you know, whoever they bought something from, uh, on the, you know, touch anything. So I think uh, digital payment uh, infrastructure is certainly uh, developing rapidly in Southeast Asia. Each country... Uh, has its own um, dominant uh, local uh, payment infrastructure. Um, most of the um, 
central banks, if you will, the government in each uh, Southeast Asian country, uh, I have not heard of any or seen any that is not pushing, you know, digital payment. And I can see that, you know, in the countries that I go to, that we have presence in Southeast Asia, in most of them, um, you can see local payment uh, being very widely used, uh, not only in e-commerce, like when you're buying or shopping for something, but also in the restaurants, um, you know, in, in daily life. So I can see more of it going there. The penetration is not as high as in China, but it is definitely um, rapidly, uh, you know, growing in terms of the acceptance. I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about some of the key regional economic trends that are really making Southeast Asia a very, very attractive place for brands to expand into? I think, you know, uh, for Southeast Asia, the economies are growing and a lot of uh, manufacturing investments continue to be made uh, in Southeast Asia. You take Vietnam, for instance, I think they are a key beneficiary of, uh, you know, many of the factories, um, you know, making apparel, um, making some of the consumer products uh, that have relocated from China, you know, because of cost reasons, because of, um, you know, uh, US-China uh, bifurcation. Um, so, so Vietnam, for instance, is a good example of how investments have uh, lifted the general uh, GDP per capita of the country. And you have um, very young population there who's very hungry. Uh, and so with that, that will lead to a growth in the middle class, right? And their affordability and their income levels. So I think that is an example of how Southeast Asia is going to continue to grow. And you look at Indonesia, where in the past, I think, you know, some of the um, labor legislation have been a bit restrictive in terms of, uh, you know, um, attracting, you know, investments, manufacturing investments in particular, you know, as if you're going to do exports, um, you'd rather, you, you wouldn't put Indonesia on a very high uh, priority because of some of these um, um, labor laws. But today that's changing. And in itself, Indonesia is a large market with 270 million people. You know, you, you could have car factories in Indonesia just to supply the local population, right? Um, and if you look at uh, Thailand, again, it is, uh, you know, um, the tourists are coming back. They are a very, tourism is a big factor in, um, you know, their uh, economy. And that's coming back after COVID. Um, not only that, I think on the industrial side, on the industrial side, um, car, new car factories are being set up, you know, BYD, which is, uh, um, you know, China's uh, number one um, electric vehicle maker, has announced they will set up a factory there. Um, Great Wall Motors, another, uh, another China, uh, you know, uh, passenger car maker is also going to set up a factory in Thailand doing uh, uh, EVs and so on. So you, you have this, these developments, uh, investments into Southeast Asia that is going to increase the living uh, standards 
uh, and the you know income of the middle class. And so the middle class is going to grow in Southeast Asia. And as the middle class grows, you know, they're uh, going to be able to spend more. And the consumer market, therefore, in Southeast Asia has a lot of potential. Let's talk a little bit more about the rise of e-commerce. And feel free to mention anything about the historical whys and hows, anything that moved. I mean, we touched on COVID, but I don't know if there's any other motivators or or leaders or levers that that kind of played a role in 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 helping it rise because it has risen greatly. And what are the largest e-commerce platforms that everybody should know about operating in that region? I think one of the key drivers in e-commerce in Southeast Asia is overcoming, you know, the uh, trust factor, you know, the trust factor. I'll give an example. Uh, an old colleague of mine, a young man um, in Jakarta, you know, five years ago, you know, he wouldn't get online because, you know, he was afraid that if he bought something and, you know, the stuff came and it wasn't what it was made out to be and he'd already paid the money and, you know, he... he and, and, and you know he would he would he, he would he didn't want to go through that trouble right he would go to a shop um see that okay this is exactly what i want and this is the price and i'm willing to pay for it i get what i pay for so one of the key uh, factors is that and i think but you know two years later he was buying his mobile phone online okay and what made the difference? I, you know, was very curious when I, you know, chat with him. He says, yeah, I mean, I bought a few things now, um, quite a few things over the last two years and um, 90% I have no problem with it. And even that 10%, I was able to return it, you know, so uh, that trust factor, he had overcome it. And today, of course, you know, he will continue to uh, spend online because, you know, in Jakarta, if you had to go to a shop that is, you may know, say, five kilometers away, it could take you, <laughs> if you went at the wrong time, it could take you, you know, an hour or two. So <laughs> you don't want to break that kind of uh, traffic jam if you could get something delivered to your house or to your office. So the convenience is that <clears throat> overcoming that trust factor um, is key to developing this. And I think it's not all done. I can, t I can assure you, you go to Philippines and Vietnam today, for instance, um, you still get like um, uh, certain reports like 50 or even up to 70% of um, e-commerce deliveries, uh, you know, are cash, uh, cash on delivery. You know, <laughs> although there's uh, all there's you know, although there's digital payment, you know, they don't want to be, they don't want to use it. Sometimes it's uh, uh, you know lack of trust. Sometimes it could be perhaps even you know uh, taking advantage of the situation. And um, if you're not careful, I've seen warehouses where they have rows and rows of return goods, and it's too expensive to send it back to the manufacturer in China. You know, so what do you do with them? Uh, yeah, they find a way to, you know, get rid of them. Create another yeah, platform. Exactly, maybe. That's yeah, a business opportunity in itself. I'm sure somebody's doing it. <laughs> so um, you still have those issues. But I think by and large, uh, those issues are being addressed. And uh, and it's thanks to, you know, the, the two big players in the region, Shopee 
and Lazada. Uh, Lazada is, uh, you know, a subsidiary of um, Alibaba. Uh, they have a lot of experience. Uh, Shopee has, uh, Shopee is probably close to 50% of um, e-commerce uh, business transactions in, in Southeast Asia. They're present in all the major economies, and so is Lazada. Lazada is a bit uh, uh, probably the number two in terms of uh, those with regional footprints. So these are the two key guys. Uh, but TikTok has come up very, very strongly. Uh, TikTok today, um, you know, from 2021, and just looking at some numbers, from 2021, they were just doing about, um, let me just uh, get the number here to make sure I don't get the numbers wrong. Just bear with me a minute. Yeah, in 2021, the you know, gross merchandise value, GMV, of uh, sales on TikTok shop in Southeast Asia was like 600 million US dollars. Small, you know, if you're looking at a 100 billion market, right? But in 2022, in the space of one year, it grew to 4.4 billion US dollars. You know, so that's like an eightfold uh, nearly eightfold increase, you know. So they're growing rapidly and uh, can attest to that when I visit TikTok in, in Jakarta, uh, you know, their, their office is just expanding like crazy. And there's a whole ecosystem uh, evolving now in Indonesia where they, they, they started their TikTok shop um, of, you know, live streamers and uh, agents and so on. You know, it's, uh, it's amazing how that's, uh, you know, growing so rapidly. So it's, uh, it's going to be a platform that has to be reckoned with if you are going to, you know, come into the Southeast Asian market. Um, they, if, if I get my numbers right, uh, in Indonesia alone, they're like 80 million. So you're looking at like nearly one in three Indonesian is a TikTok user. Influencer marketing is very influential yeah. is is what you're saying. And and I, I'd like to ask just your opinion on this could be part of another answer as well. But how relevant is influencer marketing? How relevant are short video platforms, as I'm sure we just could take away from everything that you just said? But obviously, it's grown. And I just like your take on how important it is for brands to potentially consider that as part of your Southeast Asia entry strategy is that you are looking at influencer marketing, or is that something that isn't as important as you might think and it can wait? No, I think it's very important, right? If you're, let's say, um, the price points for TikTok shop transactions is right now still relatively low. Okay. So, you know, if you're selling at $20, $30, that's tops uh, in place like Indonesia. I'm talking US dollars, you know. Um, so if your merchandise is, you know, lower cost and all that, definitely it's a good platform for transaction. But if your, 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 your products are a hundred bucks, 200 bucks, it may not be, you know, uh, a platform for, for transacting that kind of products today. Right. But at the very least, TikTok is a platform for influencer marketing. May not be sales, but definitely marketing. Get your uh, image up there and you can build on your image because there's so many, <clears throat> there's more and more users of TikTok and they tend to be relatively younger. Right. So 
if you're trying to reach that demographics, uh, even from a marketing perspective, a branding perspective, you know, put your content out there. Um, and then that could lead to, you know, yeah, the more uh, traditional e-commerce or offline stores that, you know, you operate in, in the country in Southeast Asia. Um, so whether you're a high-end, you know, which you go for, you know, uh, brand building on TikTok, or if you're, you know, in the price range that TikTok uses a uh, very frequent thing today uh, in terms of the transactions, then you could actually sell your products on TikTok as well. And I believe that um, as with many platforms uh, in the past, um, as the trust level goes up with time and with increasing usage and familiarity, um, the transaction value will start going up. You know, TikTok started in Indonesia where, you know, GDP per capita is less than 4,000 US. So it is natural that some of the transaction values, the average transaction value is uh, relatively low. But um, with the success in 2022, TikTok is now expanding the shop, TikTok shop to the other five, uh, you know, countries, the major markets in Southeast Asia, uh, including Singapore. So, you know, we can see that the average uh, transaction value, the average GMV on TikTok shop is, uh, in my view, going to go up. It's going to trend upwards. Given that regional scope of platforms like Lazada and Shopee, I think it's fair to view Southeast Asia as one e-commerce ecosystem. It might be naive to say that from not being in the region. So I apologize to you if that is definitely wrong in for somebody who is there. But from Europe or from North America, you might just see it as one kind of big region, which again would be naive, I know. We are noting that there are major differences, sometimes small differences in the regions. So how would you compare the Southeast Asia e-commerce ecosystem to that in China? or the United States. You know, if you go online and order something, if you went to Shopee or Lazada, uh, you know, you also will be going to country-specific Shopees or Lazada, okay? The reason being because when you actually do the delivery of a physical uh, stuff, right, it is uh, country-bound, right? You need to hold stock in in-country, that's the preferment, or alternatively you can drop ship, but that's going to be costly, right? So, so you're still confined by the delivery side because that's where the tire hits the road and, you know, you can't run away from that. So the difference between Southeast Asia and China in a big way is that, you know, or perhaps even the U.S. I don't know that much about the U.S., so I won't. Uh, labor on that point. But certainly in China, you can order, you can be sitting in, you know, uh, Chengdu and you order from a, a manufacturer who is in, you know, in, in Jiangsu province. And it don't, doesn't make a, any difference, right? Uh, it's one set of logistics. They, they, they've organized it throughout the country. It gets delivered to you in Chengdu. But if you're sitting in, let's say, Singapore and you order something uh, from a factory in Vietnam, uh, that has to get shipped through, uh, you know, customs in Singapore and so on and so forth. So uh, that's the complexity of Southeast Asia. 
you know, that's the difference. Let's talk hottest consumer sectors. What are the hottest consumer sectors right now in Southeast Asia? Fashion, apparel, visa, you know, uh, at top of the list, uh, beauty, you know, as uh, affordability goes up, uh, you know, the beauty products uh, also, you know, in great demand. Um, household products, you know, household products, um, because, you know, it's a young population generally in Southeast Asia and people are setting up, you know, uh, new households, you know, getting married, they buy, a, 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 you know, their, their apartment and they need to furnish it, um, you know, white goods and so on. And of course, electronics, right? Uh, price on their mobile phone. Uh, it's still a, it's still a growing market, uh, in, in, in Southeast Asia. That all sounds on par with might have expected. And, and you look very sharply dressed, by the way. I'm jealous of your shirt uh, for those of you who are watching us in video. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm wearing a batik shirt that I got from uh, Jakarta. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, because I've been going over to, uh, I'm traveling over Southeast Asia for many years and I've gone to Indonesia like before COVID almost every month, uh, you know, for the past 10 years or so. Uh, and over time, you know, they, they've, um, uh, they, they, they've gotten more, uh, how would I put it, you know, culturally confident maybe uh, to the extent that, um, you know, on, a, on Fridays in Jakarta now, um, everybody wears batik to the office, you know, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. casual Fridays. Casual Fridays, casual yeah. Fridays have shown yeah, up. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. We, we talked about a little bit um, about the, you know, TikTok, but what about the Kwai Show? as well. And how relevant compared to TikTok is Kwaisho? Um, Kwaisho is really not in Southeast Asia yet. Um, so, you know, I can't say that uh, much, but I can tell you that, uh, you know, Red or Xiaohongshu. Well, sorry, let me rephrase that. Kwaisho compared to TikTok, they're battling in yeah. China. But is there, sorry, is there a Kwaisho version or similar competitor in Southeast Asia that's on the rise? That's a better question. The ones that's on the right in Southeast Asia is Xiaohongshu. That's uh, Little Red Book. Uh, Little Red yeah. Book. Xiaohongshu yeah. is getting very popular uh, in Southeast Asia. So okay. I think, you know, uh, Kwasho is not, not here in Southeast Asia. Uh, and Xiaohongshu, I think, will give uh, TikTok a run for the money um, going forward. If I want to do social media marketing or I'm heading up, I just found out our brand, we are uh, taking a $100 million strategy to enter Southeast Asia. I've been tasked to do social media marketing in the area. What are the platforms that I'm going to start researching? Well, um, the popular ones are Facebook, um, Instagram, and now TikTok. And social media marketing, these are the three that I think you, you know, want to look at. You know, a lot of live streaming going on and on those three platforms in Southeast Asia. Are they used similarly? I mean, now that you say that, I'm like thinking, okay, good. I actually, being a social media manager for whatever brand I'm working for, mm -hmm. I should know all those things. Mm -hmm. So uh, no problem. But what... And I maybe ask you, what are some nuances to those platforms in how they operate and how they're viewed? What, you know, what does the competition for attention look like in that region? And how is it different than in the West? 
for, you know, Facebook, as you know, you know, the demographics of Facebook users, uh, you know, people that look like me <laughs> and uh, for <laughs> perhaps yourself to thought, uh, but you look a lot younger. So <laughs> maybe you're kind of in between Facebook and Instagram um, <laughs> and TikTok definitely for the even the younger crowd. You know, and uh, very interesting conversation I had with, uh, you know, uh, my daughter, for instance, I uh, said, you know, hey, um, what, how, how would you differentiate uh, Instagram and TikTok? And her, her reply just hit me and says, well, um, all, most of the young people, you know, we'd go to TikTok because uh, our parents aren't there yet. Yeah, they're starting to get into Instagram, so it's getting uncomfortable. <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it, so they can sneak around yeah. and create content without their parents watching. Yeah, exactly. So I've, you know, I've, um, at random, you know, just going through my TikTok, I've I've, I've seen the friends, uh, kids, you know, on TikTok doing their dance and uh, doing all kinds of stuff. Um, and you know, sometimes when we uh, get together, I'll tell them, "Hey, I saw you on TikTok," and they're like, "Ooh, <laughs> you know, you're on TikTok." Yeah, <laughs> so. Now they're going to look for a new platform. Yeah, exactly. Let's wrap this up with a final question. Mm. You know, talking to all our brand owners out there, what are, in your opinion and in your experience, the key pillars of a successful entry strategy into Southeast Asia for brands? What are the main, let's say, three to four things they really need to get right? You need to understand that, uh, you know, if uh, uh, your benchmark, right, of what you define as success. Southeast Asia, if you lump it all into one, as I said earlier on, uh, is not even 10% of China, okay? That's one, but that's just the average. Of course, some brands, you know, they do a lot better in Southeast Asia than in China. And there are many that, of course, do a lot better in China than Southeast Asia. So it really depends on your product and what you want to do. Um, so bear in mind that, um, your benchmark, and also bear in mind uh, the cultural diversity that is Southeast Asia and the affordability levels. You have like Singapore with GDP per capita upwards of 50,000 US dollars per capita. You have Vietnam, which is like close to 3,000. Uh, and you have those in between like Thailand and, uh, you know, Malaysia, uh, closer to 10,000. So you need to you know, be able to identify, uh, you know, which are the segments and, you know, uh, cut it down a bit more. So do a bit more analysis where you want to, you know, where you want to target because, yes, it's a nice uh, term, Southeast Asia, but within there, there's a lot of diversity. Uh, and you want to be more specific in terms of uh, where you want to, uh, where you want to try and target, right? And then, the third thing that you want to be very clear about is, uh, you know, to have uh, good people on the ground, whether it's with partners, you know, working with partners or having your own people. You need to have locals who understand uh, the local place. You don't want to have, for instance, you know, um, your products get stuck in a customs warehouse, uh, in a warehouse because the customs guys, uh, you know, have problems with it and that could drag on and, you know, it can be a mess. Uh, you don't want to do that, especially if you're going to six major countries in Southeast Asia and you have to deal with all, uh, all these uh, various places on a one-to-one -one basis, it can get a bit, uh, 
taxing, especially if you're halfway around the world. Uh, you need to have local people, therefore, to be able to help you to do all those things, reliable people, whether it's uh, through partners or whether you, 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 you have your own team. So I, I would say those are the key things um, that, and, and maybe the, 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 the fourth thing is that, you know, as you market to the, uh, culturally diverse, uh, Southeast Asia, your marketing message also needs to be in tune, uh, with the, you know, the local marketplaces. Yeah. So for instance, even although China is very close in terms of, uh, you know, geographic, proximity to Southeast Asia, but culturally it's quite different too. And, you know, I often uh, have to uh, remind my uh, colleagues in China as well that, you know, what works in China does not necessarily work in Southeast Asia. You know, you have to adapt it to the Southeast Asian environment. And I think that's very true of uh, branding uh, and, you know, product messaging and so on. I mean, if you're in France mm. and you think that marketing has to be different for Germany, you, you can understand. Yeah. If you're in North, if you're in the U.S. and you understand that marketing in Mexico needs to be very different, then you can understand. Southeast Asia, as much as we'd love to just make it one homogenous area for e-commerce and marketing, it isn't. It takes thought. It takes intent. It takes preparedness. It takes research and understanding. And I like what you said about benchmarking success before you go. I think that's a very, very wise move uh, and very sage advice. So, uh, Thomas, I know you got to run. And why do you have to run? Because you're a very busy person being the managing director of Bowson Asia. Thomas, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Todd. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been a, a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. As usual, for everybody listening to us just on the podcast audio only, don't forget that we have the YouTube channel on the WPIC YouTube channel. You can get the full episode or the shorts over there. And for those of you who just want to switch over to the audio version while listening to this, we are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, everywhere that you get your podcasts. But for me, the WPIC team, the negotiation team, and for Thomas Young, thank you very much for listening today, and we'll see you next time. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking at the Asia-Pacific region for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands, just like yours, enter China, Japan, and Southeast Asia. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation, and if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co, and be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.